G'day again, everyone. It's hardly worth me sitting down. I'm back up again. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that we have all of Scripture and that it's all breathed out by you, inspired by you. We thank you that it's all useful for teaching us, for correcting us, for rebuking us, for training us in righteousness. And so, Father, we pray that this book of Philemon might do that work in us tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, uh, we're looking at one of those little letters in the New Testament that uh, often gets forgotten, Philemon, that we just had read for us. Uh, is Philemon anyone's favourite book of the Bible? Yeah, because you're obstreperous, that's why. You know, no. It's only, it's only people who like being different who, uh, who make Philemon their favourite book. He just wanted to ruin it for me. We had our gospel team dinner on Wednesday night and uh, I asked my gospel team the question, what's your favourite book of the Bible? No one mentioned Philemon. I've never seen a sticker on the back of a car with a verse from Philemon on it. I've never seen a poster on anyone's wall with a verse from Philemon on it. It often just gets forgotten, which is really sad because first of all, it's God's Word. Uh, like I just prayed, it's God's Word, so it's useful for teaching us and all those other things, and that should be enough for us. But also, it's actually a wonderfully encouraging and challenging little gem of the New Testament. So I'm loving the fact we get to look at it today. Uh, but one of the reasons people struggle with it is that to understand this book, you need to know the key characters. So if you're just sort of reading through your Bible, you start reading about Philemon and Onesimus, and you, you sort of think, who are these guys? I don't know what's going on. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a step back, introduce you to the two key players, uh, and we're going to do a bit of a history lesson from other parts of the Bible. So uh, look at it with me, open up to Philemon. In verses 1 and 2, you discover Philemon is the man who hosts the church in Colossae. Uh, he was obviously a wealthy man, uh, he'd probably met Paul in Ephesus, that's where he'd become a Christian with his mate Epaphras, they'd gone back to Colossae, preached the gospel there, some people had become Christians, they'd said we better start a church, back in those days you couldn't hire a school hall, there weren't church buildings to meet in, and so what did they do? Philemon was wealthy, he had a big house, they met in sort of like the common area of his house. Uh, so Philemon was a godly leader in the church, in Colossae, that's who he is. Now, for the last couple of months, we've been looking at the letter to the Colossians. Well, when Paul wrote that letter, it would have been read out in Philemon's house. So, you know, as we've been here for the last couple of months, hearing it, you could imagine yourself being in Philemon's lounge room, would have been a bit bigger than that, but uh, that's where we were as we hear this word from God. Now, like all wealthy people in that world, or most wealthy people in that world, Philemon had slaves. They were just a part of his household. Now, I'm not going to deal with that issue, that's sort of like, how could he have slaves if he was a Christian? That We dealt with that back in Colossians chapter 3 and 4, so you can go back and listen to that if you've forgotten it or if you weren't here. But that's where Onesimus comes in. Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. Uh, now, his name means useful. We don't know if that's what his parents called him when he was born, but uh, it, more like it was the name he was given when he became a slave, and it was a bit aspirational, if you get what I mean. So, so let's, let's hope he's useful. It turns out he was actually useless. And you see that in verse 12. Uh, you assume he was just lazy and not a great worker. That seems to be the point. And more than that, he ran away and probably stole things from Philemon. You see that in verse 18. So by law, Onesimus is a criminal. Uh, by law, he owes Philemon a great debt. And in fact, if he wanted to, Philemon could have him put to death. That's the punishment for being a runaway slave in that society. But even if Philemon was gracious to him, as you'd hope he would be as a Christian, 
you can't imagine Philemon would have had a lot of time for Onesimus. But then, sort of unknown to Philemon, something amazing happens. Onesimus, on the run, finds his way all the way to Rome. And in Rome, somehow, I wish we knew more of the details of this story. It's sort of like one of those enigmatic little stories you wish you had the full book of. But we don't know anything about it except somehow he comes across Paul in prison in Rome. Paul preaches the gospel to him and he becomes a Christian. Maybe he, sort of, he was lost, he didn't know what to do and he thought, my, my owner, Philemon, my master, he was always talking about how good this apostle Paul was, maybe I'll go look for him. We don't know how, but he becomes a Christian. And having become a Christian, Onesimus becomes this great helper to Paul with his ministry in Rome. He becomes basically Paul's right-hand man. He's, he cares for Paul, he helps him in preaching the gospel. He becomes useful, like his name says he should be. And that's what the gospel does, doesn't it? Just think about it, that's what the gospel does. When you truly come to know Jesus, it changes you. Lazy people become hard workers, selfish people become selfless. That's what happens when you meet Jesus and when you understand him. But also, when we become a Christian, we do something else. We repent, which means we deal with our past. Part of coming to, to know Christ is we're forgiven by God, but our repentance involves going and then facing the consequences of our sin. We go and apologize to the people we've hurt. We go and pay back the money we've stolen. We, we, we pay back what we've wrongfully taken. That is repentance. That's actually a sign of true faith. So as much as Paul needs Onesimus to help him in prison in Rome, he knows Onesimus, if he's truly a Christian, has to go back and express his repentance by going back to Philemon and facing the music. So he sends his friend Tychicus with the letter we've been looking at for the last two months, the letter to the Colossians, but he also sent him with two other things. He sent him with Onesimus and he sent him with this little letter called Philemon. Now, we do not know how this went down. But it, but it must have been something like this, that the church is gathered in Philemon's house and news goes around, come this week, because we've got a letter from the Apostle Paul. So you can imagine the excitement. Back then, they didn't have the New Testament, so they get this letter from the Apostle Paul that we call Colossians. They're excited, it gets read out, and then as they're there, they look over their shoulder and they go, hang on, isn't that Onesimus? Isn't he the runaway slave who, who stole from Philemon and aren't we sitting in Philemon's lounge room? You can imagine how uncomfortable this was for everyone, you can imagine how uncomfortable it was for Philemon and then you can imagine they got to that bit, you remember back in chapter 3 about slaves and masters and you can imagine the looks over the shoulder, you know, those, you know how sometimes in church someone's thinking, oh I hope so and so hears this and they sort of go like that over their shoulder, you know, it's a terribly ungodly thing to do, you should be thinking about what you're hearing from God's Word, not worrying about what other people think, but I can imagine just about everyone in that church went, yeah, Onesimus, slaves obey your masters in everything. And then they would have looked across at Philemon and wonder what he's thinking about this, wonder what he's going to say at the end of this. You can imagine how it was. Uh, it's sort of like, just imagine you went to a Jewish vegan festival and you're the guy there with a pork roll. You know what I mean? That, that's how Onesimus would have been feeling sitting in this church. And then right near the end of the letter, they hear this. I think I put it on your outline, Colossians chapter 4, verse 9. He's introducing them to Tychicus, the guy with the letter. And he says this, he says, he is with Onesimus. And they're thinking that worthless 
And he says, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. And they're thinking, hang on, that rotten, no good, runaway slave, he is Paul's faithful and dearly loved brother. How did that happen? How is that possible? Well, that's what this little letter is all about, the letter to Philemon. This is Paul's encouragement to Philemon to forgive Onesimus and now treat him as a Christian brother. And I think this is an incredibly relevant letter for you. If you have ever been wronged by anyone, if you have ever been hurt in any way by anyone, or if you have ever wronged or hurt anyone in any way, which I think covers everyone in this room. So turn there now to Philemon. And I can't deal with everything in one sermon, so I'm hoping out of this sermon, I'll sort of inspire you, God willing, to, to go away and want to read the letter again this week and, and draw more and more things out of it. But I've got three lessons I want us to learn from the passage tonight. The first is this, and that is that the Christian life is public, not private. So just look at the greeting from verse 1. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, that's probably Philemon's wife, to Archippus, probably his son, our fellow soldier, and then it says, and to the church that meets in your home. Now, the rest of this letter is all about what Philemon gets called to do. It's all personal. It's all about Philemon. It's not really that relevant to the rest of the church. You know how I made the point a couple of weeks ago, how all the yous in Colossian are yous guys, you know, they're plural, they're talking to everyone collectively. Well, all the yous in this letter are singular. He's saying, you, Philemon, you're the one I'm talking to. And Paul is going to put a massive call on Philemon. But the letter is also still to be read out to, do you see it there? To the church that meets in your home. The whole church is hearing this message to Philemon. Now, we sort of cringe and think, oh, that's a bit rough on Philemon. We say, it's sort of like me having a letter of feedback on how Natani's gone leading the service tonight. And I say, I'm just going to read it out to everyone, Natani, here at church. Just for Natani's benefit, I'll read it to the lot of you. Uh, why is it so important that it be public? This is why. It's because your Christian faith and your godly life is a public thing, not a private thing. Our world can't handle this. You've seen that this week, unless you've not read any news at all. Our world says, you're right to have your freedom of religion, just don't bring it up in public. No, no, no. Christian faith, by definition, is public. We've bought Christian Western, sorry, we've bought Western individualism into Christianity. It doesn't come from the Bible. You see, if someone said to Paul, please don't talk to me about my faith, it's a, it's a private thing, Paul would say to that person, let me tell you about Jesus, because you're not a Christian. You see, by definition, if you think your faith is a private thing, you have not understood the gospel. A person is saved if they believe with their heart and confess with their lips. You see, Paul would say, you're not a Christian, let, let me tell you about Jesus, because then you'll want to be known publicly as a follower of His. Or if someone said to Paul, don't you dare question me, don't you dare question how I'm living or challenge me about my decisions, that's between me and God. Again, Paul would say, let me tell you about Jesus then, because you haven't yet come to know Him as your Lord and Saviour. You see, it's Pharisees who put on a different public face to their private face. The Christian life is public, not private, and so we're open to challenge, we're open to encouragement, we're open to being questioned and pushed. 
There's godly ways to do that, to not be a busybody and all that sort of thing. But in any event, we shouldn't worry too much because Paul is overwhelmingly positive about his brother Philemon. So this brings me to my second point, which is Philemon's wonderful example. So look at the prayer there in verse 4. He says, I always thank my God when I mention you, that's you, Philemon. He's talking to Philemon. I always thank God when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of your love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. See, Philemon is someone whose faith is just obvious. It just sort of flows out of him. It just flows out, in particular, in the way he loves his brothers and sisters in Christ. It just flows out in the way he encourages people. We only know a little bit of his story. We know, for instance, the way he opened up his home and had his Christian brothers and sisters into his home. Hospitality and generosity have always been the mark of Christian people. Our world says, your home is your castle. Our world says, high fences make good neighbours. Christians say, get rid of the fences, open the doors, come into my house, come and be a part of my home. See, Christians always have an open front door because we know the generosity of Jesus. So how could we not be generous to other people? And we can only imagine from this, Philemon was also someone who spoke God's word to people, who encouraged people. You see that down at verse 7. He says, For I have great joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. As I've read this this week, I've just thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if people gave thanks for the same things in your life and my life? I actually think the wonderful thing about our church is, as I give thanks for many of you, these are the things I give thanks for, the, the way your love and your faith is obvious in the way you relate to other people, for the way other saints, your brothers and sisters in Christ, have been refreshed through your words. I hope that's what you aspire to, because that's what we should aspire to if we're someone who loves Jesus, to be like Philemon, a person whose faith and love are just obvious to everyone around them. But verse 6 is the heart of this letter. It's the heart of what Paul prays for Philemon, and it really drives the rest of the letter. So look with me. He says, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. This, this verse and the key phrase, it's actually really difficult to sort of capture in English, that phrase, your participation in the faith may become effective. Other translations, if you've got a different translation there to the one we're using, you might have, so that your sharing of the faith might become effective, like it's talking about evangelism. That is a, a really good thing to pray for, and there are other verses to encourage you in that. Uh, but that's not what this is talking about. The prayer here is literally that your fellowship in the faith may become effective. That your fellowship in the faith may become effective. Now, what do we mean when we talk about Christian fellowship? Often, the person who leads the service, Natani might do it tonight, the end of the service, he might say, our service is over tonight, the formal part's over, but let's continue in fellowship now. And what we mean is having a little chat to one another about whatever comes up. That's really important, it's really good. But if that's all Christian fellowship is, we haven't understood it. Uh, you see, the fellowship the Bible talks about is this deep commitment that every Christian has for every other Christian. This deep connection that every Christian has with every other Christian. You see, we are not individual Christians. We're bound together with anyone else who shares our faith. 
anyone else who trusts Jesus like we do, which means we love one another, which means we serve one another, even when we have nothing in common, just because these people are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And at its best, that fellowship we share is the most wonderful gift of God. And it is an incredible witness to our world. I've lost count of the number of times non-Christians have, have looked in at our church and said to me, I wish I had what you've got there in the way people treat one another, in the way people care for one another, in the way when someone's sick, someone cooks them a meal, the way people look out for one another. I like to say to them, you could have it, just come. They say, oh, no, no, I don't share that faith. You see, our fellowship in that true interconnected way we love and care for one another, that is the most wonderful witness to our world. But sadly, sometimes, sadly all too often, Christians are ineffective in our fellowship. We're not committed to one another. We give up meeting together. We're not willing to welcome the person who's different to us. And ineffective fellowship is such a sad reflection on our Lord. So Paul's prayer for Philemon is that he might be so gripped by everything he knows about Jesus, he might be so gripped by the glory of Christ that his fellowship is effective. Which brings Paul to the very specific point of this letter. What will he do with Onesimus? You see, effective fellowship is really easy with people who are like you. And effective fellowship is really easy with people who you naturally like and you'd be friends with them anyway. But the true test of effective Christian fellowship is what do you do with the person who's not like you? And in particular, what do you do with the person who rubs you the wrong way? The person who might have hurt you or even wronged you? How do you treat them? And so the basic call that Paul makes on Philemon is don't just forgive Onesimus and let him come back as your slave. No, welcome him back not as a slave, but as a Christian brother. Accept him back like you would if I walked through the door. Jump down to verse 17. He said, so if you consider me a partner, accept him as you would me. Now, set aside the questions of slavery and cultural issues and, and so on, which we dealt with back in Colossians, and just see how massive this is. He's saying, instead of demanding your rights, give them up. Instead of demanding justice, forgive him. But not just forgive him, totally write off the debt. And not just write off the debt, then accept him as your equal. It's only people who really know Jesus, it's only people who really know the depths of God's forgiveness of themselves who are able to act like this. And I hope you see how radical it is. But now I want to look at how and why Paul encourages him to do that. A few quick points, and they're listed there on the second uh, column of your outline. So have a look there under the heading, Effective Fellowship. And the first point is this, do you notice he doesn't command him to do it, but he appeals to him. So look at verses 8 and 9. He says, For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. And then down at verse 14, he says, But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. There are things that it is right to command your Christian brothers and sisters to do or not do. And we've seen that, Paul's done it in Colossians already, don't commit adultery, don't commit sexual immorality, don't steal, 
don't lie, don't gossip, don't get angry, all those things. Paul has no problem commanding people to do or not do those things. And frankly, I don't have any problem commanding you as your pastor to not do some things and do other things. But Paul would rather appeal to and encourage Philemon here rather than just command him. He wants Philemon to do it not out of guilt and not out of obligation, but out of his own gospel-shaped decision. It doesn't mean he goes easy, he's actually really hard on Philemon, but he makes it very clear, this is what I think you should do, but in the end, it's your decision. This is actually, I think, the model of Christian ministry. It's certainly my model of Christian ministry. There is a place for commands, but generally, we want people to do things because they want to do things because they're captivated by Jesus and gripped by the gospel. I talked about giving before. Giving's an example of that. Every pastor wishes he could get up the front when I make that announcement before and say, you must give 10% of your income. It's the law. Every pastor has searched the New Testament trying to find the place to say it. There is no such law in the New Testament. So my job is to encourage you and appeal to you to be generous because you want to be, because of your love for Christ, because of your passion for the gospel, but it must always be your free decision based on your prayerful consideration and your own heart. In, your own heart. in my weaker moments, I'd love to make it a law that you must be in a gospel team. You must be here on Wednesday night and you must be in a gospel team. There's no verse in the Bible that says you must. So I encourage you and I appeal to you and I say it is for your own good so that you can stand firm in the gospel. It's for the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Like Paul does here, I will encourage you with every reason I can come up with. But we've got to see that you've got to see the need. You've got to want to be a part of effective Christian fellowship. You see, we must always appeal before we command. But now let's look at the reasons Paul uses to appeal to Philemon. And the first is, it's because Onesimus is now your brother in Christ. So just look again at verse 9. He says, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I fathered him while I was in chains. I actually think that is just a wonderful way of describing how someone becomes a Christian. And if you've ever had the opportunity to lead a person to faith in Christ, you know exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Paul became his spiritual father when he shared the good news of Jesus with him and he came to faith. Just like he was Philemon's spiritual father, which means Philemon and Onesimus are now brothers in Christ. I love the way he puts it down at verse 15, look there. He says, for perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. So he's saying to Philemon, would you rather have your slave back, who is under God's judgment, or would you rather have him back as your saved brother in Christ? I just want to pause at this point, I know I do this often, but just look around you, look around you now. That's a command. No, it's an appeal. <laughs> These people here are your brothers and sisters in Christ. They are not your occasional friends who you sometimes meet with on a Sunday night. That's not good enough. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
That's who they are. So if there is someone here who you need to forgive, do it tonight. If there is someone here who you need to ask for forgiveness, do it tonight. If there are people here you struggle with, commit tonight to going the extra yard to love them. If there are people who, because we're big enough now, if there are people here who you just never talk to because you just hang around with other people who you're more comfortable with and who are more like you, commit tonight to not doing that. You see, effective Christian fellowship is expressed when we treat people who we would never otherwise associate with as our brother and sister, just because they too trust in Jesus. Second thing, second reason Paul uses to appeal to Philemon, he says it's because it's better for the gospel. Look again at verse 11. He says, once he was useless to you. I love the fact that Onesimus was there as this was being read out. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you as part of myself. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. I think this is wonderful. He's saying, now that he's become a Christian, Onesimus is now doing great things for the gospel. He's doing what Paul knows Philemon would love to do himself if he wasn't caught up with all his responsibilities at home. He knows Philemon would love to go to Rome and help Paul preach the gospel. So Paul is saying, I know it costs you, but would you rather have him come back to you and do your gardening for you or whatever it is you want him to do? Or would you rather he be with me preaching the gospel? I know you, Philemon. I know you'd be here with me if you had the chance. So I know you'd rather he use his life to serve Jesus than to serve you. In the end, I hope no one here is a slave master, but I want to apply this to us. You see, isn't this the motivation for why we make all sorts of sacrifices as Christians? In the end, set aside the question of slavery and so forth. This was Paul saying to Philemon, instead of owning this person, instead of that, give it up. Just like Paul says to you, instead of keeping all your money for yourself, give it up. Instead of keeping all your time for yourself, give it up. So that's what he's saying. So when you choose to generously financially support the Turners going to Tanzania with CMS, that means you will give up other uses for that money. You won't go on that holiday because you've given it to support gospel work overseas. But you don't regret it, do you? Because in the end, you'd rather that than go on another holiday or have another meal out or whatever else it is you might do with that money. See, Paul wants Philemon to make his decision based on love, because Onesimus is his Christian brother, but more than that, he wants it to be based on gospel priorities, because this is just better for the spread of the gospel, even if it costs Philemon. There's a third reason, my final reason Paul gives, which can seem a bit of a guilt trip, based at first glance, and it's this, You should forgive Onesimus to pay back Paul the debt you owe him for leading him to Christ. Just look from verse 17. He says, so if you consider me a partner, I really hate that word partner, Uh, it doesn't really capture it because it's that fellowship word again. He's making a point, if you consider yourself to be in effective fellowship with me, if you consider yourself to be my brother in Christ, if you really share my faith, Then he says, accept him as you would me, and if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. See, Paul's saying, I'll make sure you're paid back if you really have to be. If you really want to be paid back for it, I'll pay you back, but I know you won't ask me for it. 
Because, look at verse 19, he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Usually, Paul dictated his letters to, to someone writing it down, but sometimes he got so excited, he grabbed the pen off them and said, I'm going to write this bit. And he wrote this, he said, I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self. He's saying, I'll pay the debt, but I did share the gospel with you. I'll pay the debt, but I led you to Christ. Humanly speaking, I'm the reason you're saved. I think you might owe me a little more than just forgiving Onesimus. Now, we can think, gee, that's a bit manipulative. But do you notice he's not bringing it up for his own benefit? He's not saying, you owe me a debt and I'm calling it in for my benefit. No, Paul actually refused financial support from people he was preaching the gospel to. He said, I'd rather work another job than have you think you've got to pay me to preach you the gospel. Now, he's calling in his debt for someone else's benefit. I actually think any true gospel minister feels like Paul. If at any time you, and I'm not saying you should, but if at any time you felt you owed me a debt for preaching the gospel to you, or teaching you the scriptures, or whoever else it is who's led you to Christ and, and grown you as a disciple, the greatest repayment is for you to then go and do the same for other people. That's what any true gospel minister wants from the people he, he preaches to. To see you then love others, to see you then forgive others, to see you then live a sacrificial life for Jesus, to, to see you generously support the gospel go out, to see you share the gospel with other people. That is how we repay the debt to the people who led us to Christ and build us up as disciples. In the end, we don't know what Philemon did with all this. I think you can assume he welcomed Onesimus, that his fellowship was effective, because I cannot believe that the church that met in his house would have kept this letter and handed around to all the other Christians in the world if Philemon had said, no, get lost, go and we'll do the gardens again. I think, I think we can assume Philemon did what Paul encouraged him to do. Uh, and I have a funny feeling he probably did more than that, he didn't just welcome him back, but he then paid for him to go back to Paul to be a gospel worker. Because there's this funny little thing in church history that the, uh, the name Onesimus wasn't that common a name, but a guy called Onesimus turns up about 30 years later as the Bishop of Ephesus. And we don't know, we can't know, but I just wonder if this was the same man financially supported to Philemon to go and be a gospel worker. Because that is what people like Philemon do. That is what people who really know Jesus do. Their love and their faith and their gospel heart and their generosity, they just can't help themselves. It just flows out of them. And so my prayer for you and for me tonight is that we might be just the same with the opportunities that God gives us. And like Paul said to Philemon, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit as you do it. Amen.